Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Today, as we head into week 10 of the NFL season, we'll be joined by the broadcaster and now author of Talking to Goats, The Moments You Remember and the Stories You Never Heard, Jim Gray, who has had a legendary career and his relationships in sports in life are almost unmatched. It's incredible with what he's done. And we'll get a preview of week 10. Pua versus Justin Herbert. Kyler Murray versus Josh Allen. The Rams versus the Seahawks. With ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan. But before we get into this week's podcast, I wanted to point out that as COVID cases continue to spike in our country, it's really wearing out front offices, coaching staffs, players. The football season is hard enough to deal with in and of itself, the amount of work. But when you throw in the regular tests, the cases of COVID, the losses that teams sustain. For example, the Miami Dolphins lost five assistant coaches before the game against the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday. Five went into that game without those five coaches and still managed not to turn over the football, still managed to find a way to pull the upset on the road, still managed to show people why Brian Flores deserves coach of the year consideration. But the toll that this is taking on teams and people across the league cannot be understated. There was one general manager I spoke to this past week was saying how he sets his alarm every morning at 4.30 to wake up to see how many more cases of COVID there are within his organization. And if there are none, he goes back to sleep for a half hour more before he goes into the office. And if there are, he gets up and starts handling the issues. There was another GM I spoke with this week who began to bemoan how hard this has been, what a bear it has been to tackle, and how much of an effect it's having on him and the rest of the people in his organization. And I just think it makes this whole season that much harder and more difficult to get through. That's one of the issues this week, and it will get harder as the season goes on, as these cases continue to rise, and hopefully they won't, as flu season settles in, And football becomes really a mirror for the rest of our society as cases spike everywhere. Another thing that stood out to me this week is the unpredictability of the sport of football, which is one of the reasons that we love it so much, right? Everybody picking the Arizona Cardinals to beat the Miami Dolphins, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to beat the New Orleans Saints, the Pittsburgh Steelers to beat the Dallas Cowboys. What goes and happens? The Dolphins win the game. That few thought that they could. One of the best wins for that organization, maybe the best win for that organization in over a decade. The New Orleans Saints going to Tampa and embarrass, embarrass the Buccaneers. And by the way, that is the first time that Tom Brady ever has lost two games in the same season to an intra-division foe. That never happened in New England with the Jets, Bills, Dolphins. Always won at least one, usually both, games against that opponent. But in this particular case, he's finally lost. Saints pull what many thought was the upset, but what they expected all along. And then with everybody picking these Steelers, the Cowboys almost won that game. And it just goes to show you, in a season where home field advantage doesn't really exist, 
where there are other elements related to COVID on a weekly basis, upsets are more normal than ever before, or they should be more normal than ever before. All right, before we get into today's episode, I want to tell everyone about another ESPN podcast, Marty Smith's America, hosted by Marty Smith. This podcast gives you Marty's unique brand of storytelling mixed with his Southern charm. And it is quite extensive, I must say myself. Join the Marty party to hear conversations with the biggest names in sports and entertainment by downloading and subscribing to Marty Smith's America, as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, one of my favorite people in the business, a man I've got immense respect for, Jim Gray. Jim? It is. Adam? It is an honor. The great Adam Schefter. How are you, Adam? Nice to be with you, Jim. It is my honor, and I am thrilled. And I was saying to my great producer, Christina, right before you hopped on the line, while many people would be excited to talk to a player or a coach or an executive, there aren't many more people, and I mean this, that get me excited to speak to more than you. Well, that's very kind of you. You've got a demented uh, something going on in that brain. Yes, I do. Uh, You're not the first person to say that. but (laughs) I say that because of who you are and what you've done. And for the people who are tuning in today and know the name Jim Gray, I don't know that they truly grasp the magnitude of the greatness that you've accomplished in your near 61 years on this earth. And let me just spell it out to people as we begin. You're talking about somebody who has covered Super Bowls, World Series, Masters, established relationships that are documented in your new book, which we're going to talk about, Talking to Goats, The Moments You Remember, and The Stories You Never Heard, 12 Emmys, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, a member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame, and I'm missing probably a hundred other accomplishments that we're going to touch on. But I want to start, Jim, by saying, how does somebody get to cover all these events interview nine presidents, become as close as you have with Tom Brady, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Kobe Bryant, Michael Phelps, Mike Tyson, LeBron James. How does somebody manage to do all of this? You know, I'm sorry to tell you, I don't have a good answer to that. Some of this has been, you know, none of this could be planned, Adam. Um, You know, the confluence of events and the web that got tangled could never be predicted. I was in the right place at the right time initially uh, as a videotape editor from a sports intern uh, at Channel 9 in Denver, and all the guys were taking a buyout to become videotape editors. They were in the film industry, and they didn't want to learn a new craft. So I got an opportunity at a very young age after my sports internship back in Denver, and lo and behold, one day I was in there editing the Red Miller show, uh, getting ready for the draft. and. Um, it was very early in the morning, about 7, 7.30. And a woman by the name of Sue Tooze came running in there. She was the assignment editor. She said, you know something about sports? You were the sports intern. And I said, yeah, I do, a little bit. She said, Muhammad Ali is two and a half hours early at the airport. He's taking an earlier flight. We got to go interview him. Well, back then, Adam, this was 1977, 78, 1978. And nobody had a cell phone. Nobody had a beeper. Nobody had anything. If you didn't answer your home telephone, they couldn't find you. Uh, So people were probably either sleeping or at breakfast or couldn't find the sports anchors, couldn't find the news anchors, couldn't find anybody. So they said, go out and interview. Well, I had never done an interview in my life. I had no idea. I had watched. 
a million interviews with Howard Cosell and listening to Bob Martin in Denver and Bronco Talk and so forth and was trying to learn the craft from uh, Mike Nolan and Corey McFerrin and the guy in the Channel 9. Oh, my God. And Ryan and Bobby Anderson, and they were great to me, and I was just trying to rip the wire and do all Anyway, so went into the uh, weatherman's office to see if he had a coat and tie, uh, Stormy Rotman, but he was just a little guy uh, and, and nothing fit. So I just ran out to the airport. I got out there. Ollie gave me 45 minutes. Four, um, I mean, there 45 minutes for, with Muhammad Ali, and you're a college kid. <laughs> exactly. And he, he was he, at first he said, you're the one doing the interview? And I said, yeah, I am. And he had an entourage with him. I mean, not a big entourage. There were a few people, eight or ten. And they all started to laugh. But it wasn't a laugh of intimidation or, or poking fun at me, at me. It was a laugh to relax me. And a few questions in, he said, you sound like the local Howard Cosell. Yep. And that was the greatest compliment, Adam, I had ever had in my life at that point. And so anyway, went well. Ali was great. We talked about, you know, everything uh, in his life and the upcoming fight with Spinks and, you know, what he thought of Larry Holmes, um, who had just won the WBC championship. Uh, it was it was just, you know. Uh, it was a great, it was just a great feeling to be with him and, and to get out of there. And, 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 you know, in my mind, you know, I just spoke to the most famous person in the world and I'm 18 years old. Well, you know, you, know what's, you know, what's amazing about that, Jim, though? You speak to him, you're 18 years old, and yet you establish a relationship with the man to where eventually he's invited to your 50th birthday party. You conduct the last interview he ever does on television with him and Michael Phelps. And so you established this relationship with him over the years. At the time, you started to interview him when you're an 18 year old college kid at Boulder, University of Colorado. How does that happen? Well, I came back and was editing myself out of the uh, uh, of the piece because they weren't going to put me on television. And the news director Roger Ogden walked in and he watched that tape for 45 minutes, and then he watched it again. So he spent an hour and a half with me. And Roger, at that time, he was the boss. He was the head of the bureau, head of the ABC station there. I don't, he knew my name, but he didn't really know who I was or what I was doing. So he looked at that and he said, you and this tape are barely adequate. We're going to put this on the air. So I tell everybody, uh, Adam, I've been barely adequate ever since. <laughs> so what happened was, is they saw that Ali liked me, you know, that he took a liking to it. So they started sending me to his fights and to his press conferences. And they had a thing back then called ABCDEF. DEF was the daily electronic feed that the ABC stations would have. And you would put, you know, all of the local stations would contribute to that. So I put it up there and everybody took down this interview all across the nation. Okay. So Ali knew that the interview, you know, had gone well. So they, you know, let me apply for credentials and I'd go down there and Ali would let me talk to him before his fights or after his fights or, you know, give me a little bit of a special access. Just because it was, you know, to him, it was like a young kid who he was given a start to and for whatever the reason. And, and you can't pinpoint. How can you pinpoint how something clicked with somebody? But it worked. And, and he was great to me. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this with you uh, had it not been for him. You have managed to develop relationships like that throughout your entire career. And there are many hallmarks to what you've done, but you've gotten close to. All these people, it seems like you and Tom Brady, you and Kobe Bryant, you and Mike Tyson, 
It's not just a fleeting interview. It's something that goes on. And we talk all the time about the importance of relationships, growing relationships. How do you grow these relationships and maintain them the way you do? You know, a good friend of mine said something to me. Uh, he said, true, true friendships are reciprocal. So it's, it's, you know, I can't just decide. Just like you, Adam, you're prolific at what you do. I mean, you dominate that field in a way that, that nobody has ever seen. And it's remarkable. And I often sit at home and I say, wow, that's astounding. How does he do that? How does he know before sometimes the participants of that trade know? How does he know all of that stuff? Well, when you ask me that question, that's hard for me to identify because it has to be reciprocal. So I can't just decide I want to be friends with Tom Brady or Jack Nicholson or, you know, have a good relationship with them. There has to be a mutual feeling. So they have to have that same expression in return because if it's not reciprocal, mm -hmm. if everything's only one way, if you're always giving, uh, at some point you're going to feel resentment. And if you're always taking, at some point, the guy who's given is going to stop because that doesn't work either. So I've been fortunate that I've been allowed to have been able to get in front of these folks and to have the time and the proximity to be able to have struck up a relationship and earn their trust and be involved with these guys beyond, you know, just the casual greetings and, and meetings that all of us have had. Now, a lot of that has changed, Adam. We used to have so much more access to locker rooms. We used to have so much more access to shoot arounds and before games and after games and uh, during the season. And, you know, everything wasn't conducted uh, via a text or, or a cell phone or the technology, which is wonderful. But it takes away some of the interpersonal relationships that you were able to have with these guys. And so, you know, if someone gets to know you and they're comfortable with you, then the relationship can flourish. If they don't know you or they only know you because of a screen, which in the instance of, of so many people on television, we form impressions of people from what we know from them, from what we see of their work. So that work then may be very representative of the person who they are or may not represent exactly their entire personality and, 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 you know, the quirks or the flaws or, 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 you know, the, the better qualities that, that, that all of us might have, they don't all come through the screen. And so I think, you know, in the era, um, in which I came up, uh, enabled me and benefited me, uh, that I was able to spend more time with these guys than, than it might be possible today. Yeah, I think there's, that's definitely true. And for those who don't know, Jim has just written a book with the great writer Greg Bishop called Talking to Goats, The Moments You Remember and the Stories You Never Heard. You can order it on Amazon. You can buy it at your local bookstore. I, I will tell you that I've read some of it, not all of it, but I peruse much of it. And I will read the entire book when I have more time, Jim, but it was incredibly well done. It's incredibly informative and it's mind blowing the life that you have led and the relationships that you've developed with all these people. I, I, I could not believe it as I'm reading it. You're with Mike Tyson when he bites off of Vander Holyfield's ear and Tom Brady writes the forward to this book. And the way that he speaks about you, is amazing. Like he knows 
how you got the nickname Scratchy. And he's calling you Scratchy. And <laughs> I'm reading the book. And I, again, it reminded me a little bit of Dick Schaap and the life that he used to live. But I think on an even larger level, I mean, you lived in John Madden's apartment in the Dakota on the Upper West Side of New York City. You would see Yoko Ono there. Uh, you've spent time with Howard Cosell. You've met all these people. When you look back at all these relationships you develop, do you sit back and say, what a privileged, fortunate life you've been able to live? And I mean that in a complimentary way. Very much so. Absolutely. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade with anybody. And it's been so fortunate, uh, full of, full of, you know, good luck. Um, and yeah, but, but I would also say this, you know, if something like this could happen to, to somebody like me, I mean, I went to Denver public schools. Okay. We just had just normal average upbringing. Okay. So I, I got lucky that with the Ali and, and, and then, you know, hard work and dedication and, and, and relationships. I mean, the relationships are the cornerstone of everything for me in life to have, to be loyal and have integrity. Uh, if you have that and you're willing to dedicate yourself and work hard, you know, and, and with a little luck and, and, you know, I had great mentors too. All these people have dragged me along, you know, their coattails. All right. First it was Ali. Dr. J. And, you know, I go through it all in a book and Al Davis yep. uh, and all the way up through through to Tyson and, and, and Brady. So, you know, if I started over again, it probably none of this could happen. Uh, and, and, and I'm very I'm humbled by it. I'm honored by it. Um, but the relationships are, are really all, you know, when I read your book, it, it, there was something really interesting in your book. That I think about all the time, uh, Adam, and and you had stated that you know you, you you were getting ready, you were in your late thirties, I think, or maybe forty years old, and one of your buddies called you and said, uh, "I've got a couple of people I'd like for you to meet," and then explained the circumstance uh, about your current wife and and what she had gone through in nine eleven, and at first maybe we we're a little turned off, but then you said, "You know what? I don't want to be this lonely guy." who has nothing in my life. So I'm going to be open to this. And, and that opening that you allowed, uh, and, and then as you write in the book, has led to this beautiful relationship. So I've never tried to close off anything. I've always tried to be open to everything. And what's relative now is what's, what's relevant now is irrelevant in about five minutes. Things change quickly. And even more so in today's society, it used to be a 24-hour news cycle. And now it's a 24-second shot clock. So when, when I, when I, when I, when I thought about, you know, not only what you had, you had, you had written, uh, but how all of us live our lives, if you're open, if you're open to new things and new people, you know, it takes you a lot further than being closed minded and, and, and being stuck in a certain way. So look at the beauty that came out of you saying yes to that. Just look at that. Well. Thank you for reading the book. Thank you for noticing that. And when you say those words, what I think of is the fact that, yes, it's great to be open-minded, but all these people were open-minded to you and they have allowed you to become 
a regular part of their life. And all the lessons that you're talking about, when people talk about relationships and how do you get information, everything you're saying, I 100% agree with. And it's true. In any relationship, you can't be the giver. You can't be the taker. You've got to provide, in my mind, more than you take back from an individual. And I love your story because I love all the Denver stuff. When you bring up those names, Roger Ogden and Mike Nolan and all these people like that, Channel 9, now, I worked there as a young man. That, that's where I learned to do TV. That, that's why I was so excited to talk to you because I love your story. I love what you've done. I'm blown away by the whole thing. And it's incredible to me to hear how you did not expect this, how you went from the public schools of Denver to the University of Colorado, Channel 9, to all these relationships that are documented in this book, Talking to Goats, and this career path. And you mentioned Al Davis. And there was one passage in the book that, as I was reading through, struck me, where he asked you, what do you want in life? And you asked him what he meant by that. And he said, there are only five things in life, money, fame, glory, power, or love. That is an unbelievable statement from him. Do you remember what you told him about what you were looking for, Jim? I do. I remember it as clear. And, and, he, and he said it to me on numerous occasions. And he also said it to some other folks when we had been out to dinner. And, and when I said that to him, I said, huh, Al, you know, I'm not really sure. I'd never thought of it. And immediately he said, Jimmy, you better decide in a hurry. Otherwise, you're going to end up with nothing. And so I said, Al, well, what is it for you? And he said, oh, Jimmy, that's easy. Power. And I said, why? He said, because if I had power, I'd be famous. If I'd had, if I have power, I'll have money. If I have power, I'll probably will have achieved something glorious. And I really don't care a whole lot about love. <laughs> and you know what? It was striking. And let me just put it in context, though. Al very much did love his wife, Carol, and his son, Mark, and his organization, the Raiders. But what he was talking about in a broader sense was he's not going to live his life for someone else's approval so that somebody will put their arm around him and say, wonderful, great, terrific. He wanted to fight for his principles. So it wasn't a love of family that he was trying to diminish. He just said, I don't really care about, you know, being beloved. And he lived his life in that fashion. And then I remember one time we were at dinner with Alex Spanos. And he asked Alex the exact same question. And Alex had just, you know, had purchased the San Diego Chargers and uh, Al had helped him. And he asked, he, asked, uh, he asked Alex that question. And Alex said, love right away. He said, love. And, and Al said, why? He said, I love my family. I love my community. And I love my team. And Al just kind of looked at him and paused. And he said, Alex, if that's the case, then you have more championships than I'll ever have. Amazing. How do you how do you remember all this? Did you write this down as you were going through all these experiences or how did you keep track of all this, Jim? You know, I, I first of all, there's tens of thousands of interviews. And, you know, there's there's tapes and there's DVDs and three quarter inch and one inch. And Greg Bishop, who you mentioned earlier from Sports Illustrated, who, who wrote this book with me, did a phenomenal job and going back and getting all of this. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I say this just because it's the way it is, not to 
be braggadocious or anything, but I don't forget anything. I mean, Tom Brady wrote that in the forward. He said, this guy's memory will blow you away. Something to that effect. He did say and, that. And it, and it can be a distraction. Well, it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, remembering all of this stuff and having it in your head is great. But there's some things in your head that you should just want to forget. And, and you know, that's not, that's not easy for me. So, you know, I've, I've had the tapes. I've had some notes. Uh, I've had, you know, and I have a good memory. I don't know how else to say it. What, what would you like to forget that is in your mind that you'd like to just get rid of there, Jim? Well, you just want to forget some of the pettiness of life. Mm-hmm. Some of the things, you know, where, where you either feel resentment or you felt slighted or you, you were heavy handed with somebody or you were, you know, you, you'd like, you'd like to be able to forget, you know, some of the, some of the things, just some of the occurrences that have gone on that, you know, you could have done better or somebody could have done better toward you. So, you know, that's not, that's not, that's not something that's, you know, a great quality, but if you have a good memory, you don't forget it. <laughs> well, give me one instance that you'd like to just wipe out in a race. Oh my God. How long is your show? Jim, we got all day. Have at it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, it's not that I have regrets. It's just that I remember, you know, look, if you, if, if, if you know somebody lied to you, mm-hmm. And then you see that person and, you know, it's kind of standard fare that people tell white lies or anything. But when you have that in your head and you're making that judgment, when you see that person again, you can still be gracious and courteous and be a gentleman. Yep. But you always kind of know oh, yeah. what's happened, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what oh, I'm yeah. talking about. I'm not, yeah. I'm not talking about, you know, any, any, I, I don't have lifelong regrets where I've done something, you know, like that. It's not that. It's uh. It's it's the little things in life. So when you can remember little details about, you know, what Yoko Ono said to you or, or you know, occurrences that have happened that are fun, it's wonderful. I remember you sitting out there in the bubble after the Broncos moved from Logan Street in that brand new. I remember Adam Schefter as a very young man writing for the Denver paper. I can see you. I can remember our conversation. And I can remember, you know. Little details in that. Why? I don't know. I mean, it's it's not relevant. Not relevant to you, me, or anything. But I can still see it. I remember seeing you outside with Coach Ditka in New York, uh, outside that bar on 50, 59th and 6th that he used to like to go into. <laughs> I didn't remember that one. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I remember we had an interaction at one point, and, and I'm not just saying this. I remember seeing it myself. Boy, he's even more impressive in person than he is on air. Like, it was incredible to me. So when I read Tom Brady speak about you in the forward the way he does, and I watch how he interacts with you, I listen, I listen to how he interacts with you on Westwood Run Radio when you do the halftime interviews of Monday Night Football. That blows me away because he's so respectful of you. And you, in turn, and this, I mean, is the highest compliment. You go at him. Like, you don't hold back anything with him. You ask him exactly what any fan would want to hear. And I think what a lot of reporters would be too timid and uneasy and nervous to ask him. And that, to me, is a sign of the respect that the two of you have for each other and the relationship that you've developed. How has that happened? Same thing, I guess? 
that we're talking well, about? I'm just really grateful to Tom. To me, you know, he's the greatest player, quarterback in the history of the National Football League. And to think that for more than a decade now, you know, we've done a show together, the pregame and halftime on Monday Night Football. But I'll, I'll never forget, you know, I asked him if he wanted to do the show because Coach Ditka was uh, tied up with uh, ESPN and there was a conflict for him with Monday Night Countdown mm-hmm. uh, that you guys do, so he couldn't do it anymore. And Don Shula had retired. So those those were the people who were doing what, what Tom does now with me uh, before he did. So I asked him uh, one day, his son was playing tennis, and I just happened to see him, uh, his young son, uh, Jack, and I just threw it out there, expecting a no, even though we had a good relationship. We weren't close, but we had a good relationship, professional relationship. And he said, let me think about that. So he thought about it and called me back a week later, and he decided to do it. The week before we did our first show, Adam, I got a handwritten letter from Tom, and it said, I'm really looking forward to this opportunity. Thanks so much. I just want you to know, you'll get the same effort out of me on Monday night that I give my teammates on Sunday afternoons. Tom Brady. You know, that that just blew me away. And then I said to him, I said, Tom, we have to this has to be real, okay? It's it's your show. I'm grateful you're doing it. You've won three Super Bowls. We can't do any better than have Tom Brady on, but it's got to be real. I have to ask you what goes on in the National Football League and with your team. How you answer is how you answer. And if I don't like the answer, I'll follow up. But I'm not going to sit here and badger you. I mean, it's, this, is, this isn't what this is. This isn't, you know, it's your show. I'm not, you know, not clobbering you over the head. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you what's pertinent and what's going on. And when, when, when we have to move on, we move on. And when we have to follow up, we follow up. And he said, he said the exact same thing that Don King said to me all those years ago. Don King said, brother, ask me anything. I don't care. There's nothing you can't ask. Well, Tom said the same thing. Ask whatever you want. No problem. Well, I often wonder, as I'm driving home listening to you guys, I'm thinking, he's Tom Brady. He's got all the success. He's got all this fame. He's got all this. Why is he doing this? Why why does he want to do pregame and then at halftime have to call in to speak to Jim again? That's, you know, I'm honored he does it. But again, you'd have to ask Tom that. We started doing this, uh, Adam, at the dawn of social media. Okay. So there wasn't a direct way for him to correspond with fans unless he sat in front of, you know, all of the, all of the press in Boston and the, and the national writers and national thing. And, you know, so there was really no way for him to answer all of these questions. He had a local radio show in, in Boston. Uh, on one of the stations there that he did on Monday mornings, which was part of the uh, a promotional contract that station had with uh, with the head coach, with Coach Belichick, and with Tom. And I think you're on that station, WEEI. Every now and then, yes. And 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 so he he did that, uh, but that really was just for the local fans. And and he had been doing that, you know, since he took over as as the starting quarterback, because that was part of the deal. The starting quarterback does does that show, so. There was no other way really to communicate with fans unless he was going to sit down in front of 18 or 20 guys all the time, right? Because he couldn't pick one over the other. And, but, you know, that just wouldn't occur. So this was, this was a way for him to have that ability and that outlet to at least have his, his, his side, if that's the right way to say it, not that he was trying to recruit anybody, but just be able to communicate to the fans. So I think that was part of it. And, and then as social media grew and Facebook and, and, you know, then he branched out and, other stuff, Tom versus time, 
great series with Gotham, uh, Chopra, and uh, has done some other stuff. And, and he's just, you know, grandfathered in and kept the radio. And, you know, we've 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 had a, an unbelievably great run and, and, and it's been a lot of fun and been one of the great joys and honors of my life. You do a great, great job with it. Fantastic. And you bring up social media, Jim, and yet you are not on social media at all. So there's no way to promote your new book, Talking to Goats, the moments you remember and the stories you never heard with Greg Bishop. There's no way to promote that on in, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Why no social media, Jim? Well, I'm going to I'm going to tell you something here, Adam. You're going to break some more news. I finally had to break down. <laughs> finally had to break down after all of these years. We're, we're starting up social media because, you know, social media is very powerful and very effective. And I just haven't engaged in that because I always wanted to try and do the best I could for the radio show or for Showtime or Fox or forever I was working as opposed to 140 characters. And since I'm not into the breaking news aspect, as you are, where, you know, uh, seconds really uh, matter and, 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 you know, you have tremendous following, millions of people, you know, I'm not into that. So I always thought, you know, social media is very powerful. But it's also very dangerous. And, and we've seen the dangers of what can happen when people, you know, make mistakes. And, 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 and particularly now in a cancel culture, that mistake can end careers. Well, I thought a long time ago, you know, I'm accessible. Anybody can call me anytime. But at least I know who I'm dealing with when I'm being called, right? Yeah. Anybody can reach out and get an email to that. You know, I don't, I'm not looking to avoid anybody. I return every call. I returned every single email and every single call, even of strangers. But I didn't ever get into social media because I just didn't think that that was going to be an effective way. But now, at Jim Gray Official, at Jim Gray on Instagram, we're doing all that because I have been I have been told by the publishers and by all of you guys who are so so you know active on social media uh, that that it's that it's time. And so. Um, here we go. It's just they're, they're just opening up these accounts, and I, I don't know where it'll lead, but I, I imagine you'll see the cover of the book a few times. <laughs> well, I will say this: not only are we trying to help promote the book today on the podcast, but I will personally announce your arrival on Twitter and on Instagram. I will do that for you as as a colleague, a work colleague, friend of yours, and we will yep. try to bring as much attention to this great book as we possibly can. You know, it's funny. I think about this often. I got hired at ESPN in the spring of 2009, Jim. When ESPN hired me, and it shows you how fast the world moves and how much changes. When ESPN hired me in the spring of 2009, I did not have a Twitter account at all. That's unbelievable. They hired me without having a Twitter account. Like, And I just think of my job today, how tied in it is to posting on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. and it's. It's hard for me to imagine, like, why did they hire me then? Like, what was the draw? How did they know my work? Did they know what they were getting? It's just fun to think. But I would say to you, as a new entrant into social media, less is more. Don't read the comments. Just keep moving forward, Jim. Just keep doing what you do, what's made you great all these years. Well, I've, I, that, and that's why I haven't also... Uh, up until this point, because I've always thought that these relationships were the most important thing in my life. My relationship with my wife, with my mom, 
my dad, who unfortunately passed away. And and with all of these people who I've made, who have who I cover, and some have become personal friends. What's private should remain private. What's public should be in the public domain. So if I was on social media, the temptation would be to take what was private and make it public. So I didn't want to have that temptation, and I'm going to guard against that going forward. Hmm. We'll have more with Jim Gray after this. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. And now we get back to the legendary broadcaster, Jim Gray. How does your wife, Fran, handle what you do for a living and all the high profile relationships that you've developed. And I'm sure people call it odd hours and have interesting questions. And Fran's the greatest ever, much like uh, uh, Bill Walton calls Lori, the angel of mercy. Hmm. I call Fran. Fran has tolerated all of this for more than 30 years. And she, she does it all with a smile and everybody loves Fran. Every, every, every single animal and child, that meets Fran. She's like the Pied Piper. It's unbelievable. Wow. It's unbelievable. And so every, you know, uh, she's just been great. She, she was in sports and still is in sports. Uh, Chuck Daly, uh, introduced me to Fran. Wow. Uh, and, and Chuck, uh, Chuck was, Chuck was my best friend. Uh, we miss him, uh, every day. Think about him. Uh, and one day he, uh, invited me. He was the, uh, Pistons coach huh? and the Pistons had just won a championship. Uh, and so he invited me to the marketing meetings, uh, down in, uh, in San Diego at La Costa and to play golf with him. And when I got down there, he forgot to put me in the tournament. So he said, Oh, let's run in and meet the girl who's running the tournament. Nice girl. She'll take care of it. We ran in. Well, that was Fran. Wow. We ended up going to dinner during that trip. He, she came to dinner with us uh, and, and just kind of hung out and. She lived in New York, and uh, and and I was living uh, in Los Angeles at that time, back and forth to New York. And so, uh, you know, we started dating. And I'd go back to New York and make a long story short. Uh, Chuck was in the wedding. Chuck and Julius were were Julius Irving were uh, in my wedding, and my dad was the best man. So, oh, well, let me let me say this. I grew up on Long Island. Julius Irving was my idol, and I wrote a child's book that I still have in my office. I I might be able to pull it up right now. Where I wrote, he's only human. It was it must have been in third or fourth grade, and talking about how uh, these athletes that you revered, like Julius Irving, uh, were no better than your family members. And it was based on Julius Irving. And then when I went to college at the University of Michigan, Chuck Daly was leading the Pistons to all those championships, and I loved that guy. 
And these are the guys that introduced you to your wife were the best men in your wedding. And that blows me away. How did you get close to Chuck Daly and Julie Serving? Well, when I moved from Denver, Roger Ogden left the station in Denver. The man we referred to earlier, he was, he, he was running the ABC station in Denver. Roger left and he went to Channel 4. Okay. And, uh, and by the way, if I can interrupt you, Roger Ogden was to local TV what Bob Iger is in my mind to ESPN and Disney. Uh, that, that's how successful Roger Ogden was on a local level for those who don't know. Am I correct? Absolutely. He was General Electric Television before before General Electric owned NBC and was very integral as a part of NBC and CNBC and uh, particularly overseas in London and, and, and in this country. No, Roger was a huge television executive oh. and a legend in the industry. Anyway, he left Channel 9, went over to General Electric, which owned Channel 4, and the new guy came in and he thought I was too young to be on the air because he just thought I was too young. I was 20 years old when he got there, a guy named Tom Kirby. So he would let me stay there. He didn't take my job away, but he wanted me to be the videotape editor, and I wanted to do more interviews, particularly after the Ali, and then they'd let me do all these Broncos interviews and uh, cover the CU buffs and so on and so forth. But he wanted to pair me back and take me off the air um, and just wanted me to stay in production. Thought I was too young and, and, and so forth. So, you know, that was his call and, you know, his domain. He was the new guy in charge. So I sent out tapes and I got hired by a station in Philadelphia called Prism. And when I went to Prism, P-R-I-S-M, not Prism, Prism, and uh, and they were they were the first you know broadcasting cable company, and they had the rights to the Phillies, the Sixers, the Big Five basketball, and the Flyers, and and so uh, I was hired to do a regional sports center, and this was back when Sports Center, when ESPN was just starting, and I was also freelancing for them, but uh, so I went there, and I would you know have to do everything by myself, white balance the camera, run my own audio, uh, rip my own wire, write the show, edit the highlights. And then I would also do the pregame and halftime for the Sixers and the Big Five basketball, Villanova, Penn, and so forth, uh, Temple, St. Joe's, and so on. And 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 then the Phillies pregame because they had the rights. Well, on the pregame for the Phillies, my partner was Tim McCarver. On the pregame for the 76ers, it was Chuck Daly because he got fired by the Cavaliers wow. uh, and came back to Philadelphia where he had been the coach at Penn and had been an assistant to Billy Cunningham, but he couldn't get back on the bench because Jack McMahon uh, and and Matty Gukas had taken his job. So they put him on the television broadcast with me. So I was doing the pregame and halftime and postgame with Chuck, and we were covering Julius. So, you know, I was doing all this stuff by myself uh, for the shows other than the games. I didn't have any help. And, and Julius would come early to the arena and leave late. So he would see me doing all of this, trying to interview him and, you know, trying to get it all together. So one day he just said, you know, where do you live? And I said, well, I live out King of Prussia. And he said, oh, I'm in Villanova. You know, you seem to come at the same time I come and leave at the same time I leave. Maybe some days we ride together. So I said, wow, <laughs> of course. And I had met Julius when I first came. Um, Marvin Webster, I was a I was a ball boy yep. for the Denver Rockets and the Denver Nuggets, and Marvin I, Webster had been sick yeah. with hepatitis, and so I used to just talk to Marvin, you know, and then Marvin asked me would I throw him passes, you know, down at a place called the Court Club, and would I rebound for him wow. as one of the ball boys? So I did. So when the first slam dunk contest took place in Denver, 
for the All-Star game, the last ABA All-Star game. Carl Shear's idea. Carl Shear's idea, right? Carl just passed, unfortunately, in the last year or so. Yep. Um, Marvin, I was sitting in the stands and, and, and next to Marvin because Marvin would sit in the stands because he couldn't play because of this hepatitis it was last year of the ABA. So we, I was talking to him and his wife, Madeira, and Julius was coming out for the, for the uh, slam dunk. And he stopped over and said, Marvin, I hope you feel good. I hope you get well soon. The league needs you. We all need you. I'm sorry you're struggling. And he spoke to him for a couple of minutes and Marvin said, this is my friend. Jim Gray, he's he's a ball boy here. He, he he's helping me get well, and so you know I got to meet Dr. J. So that was unbelievable. All right. So fast forward now, all those years later, and um, and get to Philadelphia and doing the Sixers games. And my first meeting with Julius, I say you, you probably won't remember this. This is one of you know ten thousand meetings like you had like this, but the All Star game in 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 Denver six years ago five years ago, whatever it was, it's time, uh, last ABA All-Star game, I was sitting with Marvin Webster, and Julius stopped me right then, and, and he said, and he introduced me to you in the stand. Wow. Thinking, wow, wow. Re- the recall with this guy. And I said, yeah, and you wished him well. And he said, ah, now you're out here. Yeah. So anyway, so there, was a, there wasn't familiarity, but he remembered. He, there was some form, for whatever the reason, he remembered that instance, probably because he wanted to see Marvin get well. Um, so anyway, when he asked me did we want to ride, we just ended up becoming friends. Again, we started golfing together. You know, he let me ride to the games. He gave me the insight as to what was going on. Uh, and, you know, him and his wife at the time, Turquoise, uh, have me over to their house with their kids, Jay and Cheo and Jasmine and little Corey. Corey, unfortunately, has passed away. Um, and they just kind of, for lack of a better term, adopted me. So... You know, when people see this, when people see that you're okay with Ali, when people see that Julius Irving likes you and lets you interview him all the time, yeah. just opens every single door, Adam. Magic sees it. Moses Malone sees it. Billy Cunningham sees it. Bob Lanier sees it. Larry Bird sees it. And even oh, though Larry Bird hate Julius Irving and the Sixers, if he's okay with Julius, he must be okay. Well, if more with Jim Gray after this, with Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. And now we get back to the legendary broadcaster, Jim Gray. So how do you explain and what stands out about interviewing nine U.S. presidents, world figures like Nelson Mandela and Gorbachev, Madeleine Albright, Condoleezza Rice, Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, Neil Armstrong, Don Glenn. Like, how does this happen, Jim? How do you get to I've never I've never met a president in my life. The only, the only president that I think I will have met now was a couple of years ago in Ann Arbor. The man who published my book also published Joe Biden's book. He said, would you come to Ann Arbor and do an hour sit down with Joe Biden in the theater in Ann Arbor in front of a few hundred people, do the Q&A with them and, and then you know, conduct that? I said, sure. So I flew to Ann Arbor 
no, Joe Biden. And now it looks like he's on the verge of being president. And I feel like, well, I finally got to meet a president way before he was president. You've interviewed nine presidents, world figures. What stands out about is there something that ties together these people that have held these positions, a common trait, a certain characteristic? Well, I, 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 yes, there is. They're all really gregarious, outgoing people. Okay, and the wherewithal of these guys. I mean, you can sit and talk to Bill Clinton, and you can just be fascinated by by the amount of knowledge uh, that the capacity that he has. And Richard Nixon, Richard Nixon can could recite instances of things that occurred in sports, which obviously wasn't you know the field that he was excelling in, and and. You know, we didn't have Siri or Google back then. Yeah. You know, I guess he could say anything and you just have to accept, you know, that, that that's what it was. But when you check them out, it was what it was. You know, if you go back and look at the encyclopedia or you go back and look at the box score, you know, he had all this right. So when you're talking to these guys, and, and I don't want to make a generalization about all of them because they're all different. Yeah. But I mean, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton and Richard Nixon. It's phenomenal. It's just phenomenal how much they retain on such a breadth of things. Like Jim Gray. Well, I don't, nothing, nothing like that. And and then to, you know, one of the things, in fact, it's, 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 I'm so, so grateful to have been able to have been a part was to have done the 30 for 30 with President Bush first pitch after he threw out the ball, you know, a few short weeks after 9-11 at Yankee Stadium. And it took 12 years to convince him to do it. And then he finally did it. And uh, uh, we got the 30 for 30 on the air at ESPN. You know, they, they did a you know great job with it. And, you know, that was one of the great honors of my life that, that President George W. Bush, you know, of the 300 and However many million Americans there are, 340, 50 million Americans that I've, you know, he let me tell that story and, and you know, take the idea and, and get it to the screen. And, uh, you know, it still plays. And Connor Shell and John Skipper and all those folks at ESPN, uh, John Skipper was president at the time. Um, we had a premiere down at the, the Bush Library. So, but but just the the graciousness and humility of George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush. I mean, what you find in, in, in these guys is that they're all really unique, Adam, and they, and they, and they really, and they, and then there are qualities that you, you can just see how they rose to become what they did. And, and, um, Nelson Mandela, by far and away, the most remarkable and special man I ever got to spend time with. And how come? Uh, just, just the stories that he told. Some of them, you know, I relate in the in the book, and you know, many of them didn't, you know, can't get into the book, but because uh, you can't just, you know, take everything. But just the principle that he had, the ability to have uh, the mindset to be able to look forward, to retain everything that had happened to him, uh, and and do it not in a bitter way, but in a way that that he was able to, you know. Uh, 
take the nation and and let it grow from those from from all of those terrible things that had happened to him and 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 the people he led um and the nation that he led to bring them forward in reconciliation all these stories are recounted in talking to goats the moments you remember and the stories you never heard i didn't even get to ask you about your interview with pete rose i didn't get to ask you about Mike Tyson biting off Evander Holyfield's year. I didn't get to ask you about your relationship with Kobe or bringing the decision with LeBron to ESPN. All these stories and more are all in the book. And, and man, I could talk to you forever, Jim. And I know I have to get you out of here pretty soon. You've been connected to the Masters for a long time. You did broadcasting for the Masters. What are your thoughts on the Masters this week? <laughs> well, I think it's going to be a really interesting uh, circumstance. And, um, uh... You know, I stopped. I stopped doing the Masters. Uh, uh, the last chapter is about my dad and the Masters, and unfortunately, this will be the seventh year uh, that my dad uh, passed away uh, uh, near Christmas time. And um, he he used to go and keep score with me on the tower. Wow. First we were on twelve, and then we got moved to fifteen and sixteen. So it was just a great week because it was the only week, uh, Adam, that we were able to spend with each other. Uh, he lived in Denver. I, you know, most of my adult life have lived in Los Angeles or Atlanta. And um, so the specialness of that of that week, um, you know, it changes quite a bit and, and will never be the same. So now I go, I, you know, I do some interviews now, but uh, I no longer do the broadcast. But be that as it may. But um, you are going. I'm not going because the release of the book is coming out and uh, uh, I'm. Just can't be at Augusta National, uh, unfortunately. Had planned to go, uh, ah. but with all of the uh, COVID restrictions and 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 you know all of the things that uh, uh, are going on in the country right now, uh, plus the book being released. It's just uh, and and Monday night football, and then I start on Thursday night football. Uh, that very week, uh, we do the last eight games. Uh, Tom and I do uh, the pregame, so mm. it's uh, it's just it's too much. Probably not going to be able to uh, to go this year, but uh, I think I think it's going to be interesting, uh, uh, really interesting, Adam, because nobody has seen the course this time of year other than the members. Okay, so the foliage is going to be much different. The topography won't have changed, but the agronomy does change because it's not you know it's, it, there won't be the heat uh, that that you can have in April. Um, it could be damp, um, you know. I lived in Georgia for a long time. The fall is beautiful. So, you know, some of the leaves, I'm sure, uh, will still be on uh, the magnificent trees. Uh, the pines will uh, look a little bit different. Um, and I'm sure it will be like only Augusta National can be in, in phenomenal, phenomenal shape. And it's a special place. But I just don't think that it's going to, first of all, the experience won't look the same on television. There won't be any fans there, uh, all the patrons as Augusta National uh, calls the gallery, uh, are not being permitted in. Um, so I think it's going to have a much different texture to it this year. And I think I think that opens this up to more players because, you know, how fast can the greens be if they don't have that heat? Um, will they be a little slower? Will that bring more people into it? Um, you know, you've got these guys who can just smash the ball so far, DeChambeau. Uh, Dustin Johnson, uh, these guys hit the ball just so far, uh, you know, that the course, uh, 
you know, they've run out of space and, and Augusta runs out of nothing. I mean, they just keep going and going and going, but there's, you know, they tried to tiger proof the course many years ago. And well, there's no, there's no getting around guys who can hit 320 yard drive. I mean, they can just, you know, bomb it out there. So those guys are always going to have a big advantage there, but I think, I think the field's going to be more wide open. I just have a feeling that for some reason, because of the time of year and because of all those conditions that I just talked about, I think instead of there only being 10 guys who can win, maybe there's 25. Hmm. So is this the first time in decades since 1988 that you will not attend the Masters? Uh, I did not go uh, for two or three years after my father passed away. Because it was too much for you emotionally to have to go? Yes, because, you know, if you if you if you go somewhere, the experience would never be the same. So, you know, I, I didn't want to go and, and just be sad. So I didn't go. Um, and then three years, two or three years after, I think it was three years after uh, he passed in 2013. Uh, his last Masters was 2013. Then he died six or seven months later, eight months later. Um, I just didn't, I just didn't go. I figured, you know, that was a great time in my life. Um, and, and to go someplace and just be melancholy, you know, that's, that's not good for me. And who would want to be around that? So, uh, but then I went back and put a flower on his chair. Uh, Billy Payne, uh, who was the chairman at the time, uh, set a drink out, uh, on his chair, uh, where we would sit, uh, in, you know, uh, to have lunch and so forth. And, you know, you kind of walked around and it's a, it, it, you know, made me sad. Uh, but I also kind of felt good about it. Um, good that the good that I had those memories and sad that he wasn't there. And, uh, time really hasn't diminished that feeling, but I go there now. And, you know, last year when Tiger won, uh, having done that interview with Tiger all those years ago, uh, when he was just a, a, a little, a young child, um, and, and to have seen what he did in 97, my dad was there with me and, uh, you know, how, how great of a thing that was for golf and, and for, for Augusta National and for Tiger Woods. Uh, and then to see him do that again and hug his mom in the virtual same spot that he had hugged, hugged Earl. Um, and, and then to see the humanity of the great comeback, uh, that, that Tiger had and how he allowed people to enjoy it this time as opposed to, you know, just taking it in for himself, how he, you know, uh, seemingly put his arm around all of the patrons and, and all of the golf world and his competitors and, and let them enjoy it with him. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it was fantastic. And so, you know, that, that turned out to be a great memory. And yes, I missed my dad. And yes, it, it, it you know, wasn't the same type of experience, but, but it was, it was a joy to see it. And I was uh, happy for Tiger. And I'm sure it was different for Tiger too. Not that uh, our lives compare in any way, but his father wasn't there either. Your dad got to see you achieve so much greatness in your career. And I'm sure he would be even prouder if he got to read the book, Talking to Goats, the moments you remember, the stories you never heard. It's been an unbelievable career, Jim. And I'm, I'm honored and thankful that you would grant us an hour today as you get ready to release this book and get on social media and launch your social media accounts. You want to tell people again where they could find you on Twitter and Instagram and those sorts of things and tell people about the book before we let you go? After taking all your time away from you? 
Well, thank you. Thank you for everything, Adam. Uh, I have tremendous admiration for you and great respect. And I consider you a friend. And although we don't see each other often, I'm so proud and happy for all of your success. Uh, you've just done great. And thank you for taking the time to listen about Talking to Goats. Uh, people can find it at TalkingToGoats.com. Uh, I have an Instagram account now, at Jim Gray, on Twitter, at Jim Gray Official. And I hope, you know, I hope people will take a look at the book. And, you know, it's been a great, fortunate, wonderful existence. It's not over. Uh, but uh, Stedman Graham, who, who is a dear friend, uh, said, you got to get these stories down on paper. So he told me two things in my life. Jim Gray, they're paying you to talk. Just keep talking and write these stories down. So I wrote these stories down. And I'm still able to talk to people like like you, Adam. So thank you so much, Jim. You uh you you made me a little emotional here. I'm not gonna lie. I uh, have some tears in my eyes here. Uh, between your dad and your kind words for me, and like I said, it's an honor to get to speak to you. And I want to have dinner with the great Jim Gray on the road here. I want to hear more about the unbelievable life of Jim Gray. Thank you, Adam. You're the best, buddy. There is Jim Gray, and that is. Probably one of the more outstanding conversations we've had on this podcast in my mind. Guy is so thoughtful, so considerate. And it's funny because I think a lot of people aren't Jim Gray fans. I posted a comment about him in the book. I saw a lot of negative comments on Twitter, which is the kind of thing I don't want Jim to read or see and why there's a reason to stay away from social media. But I think people are failing to grasp the greatness that is Jim Gray. And I really mean that. He is so good at what he does. And the career that he has put together, in my mind, is unparalleled. He's a Hall of Fame broadcaster, and he is much better than many of the people in public realize. And they hold this one Pete Rose interview against him. We didn't even have time to get to that Pete Rose interview. I would like to have gotten to it. He describes it in the book. I wanted to hear how he does his job. And he did that today in an outstanding way. Let me tell you else who was outstanding in what they did. We're a week out, but I just want to just tip my cap to John King, Steve Kornacki for their election coverage. For these men to know how each county breaks down. Forget about the states. Forget about the cities. Each county breaks down. And as somebody who's pulled all-nighters to do free agency on TV or fancy football marathons on ESPN, let me say this, about five, six in the morning, you start feeling a little stir crazy and you just start losing your mind. These guys had tremendous recall, great insights, and they're going all night long, all week. John King, Steve Kornacki, take a bow. That was unbelievable what you guys did. And as somebody who's pulled all-nighters on TV, I had a greater appreciation for the job that these guys did. And it was unbelievable to me. Just really, really impressive. All right. Before we get to my friend and colleague, Evan Kaplan, previewing week 10. And now our next podcast guest. All right. It's that time of the podcast where we're joined by my friend, my colleague, Evan Kaplan, the ESPN analytics stats guru. Evan, we are headed into week 10. And when I look at this schedule this week, First of all, there are not a lot of great matchups. <laughs> On paper, that's true, Adam. I'm with you. Not a lot of great matchups, but there are some things to me that jump out. And the one thing that jumps out to me is 
the meeting of the young quarterbacks. We've got Josh Allen versus Kyler Murray. We've got Justin Herbert versus Tua Tungavailoa. And then we've got a great game between the Rams and the Seahawks. Let's start with Justin Herbert versus Tua Tungavailoa, a team that's winning, a team that's not winning. And give me your assessment of that matchup on Sunday between those two young, outstanding quarterbacks. This one should be a lot of fun. And it's a rare matchup between, you know, quarterbacks picked with consecutive picks in the draft. Tua was the fifth overall selection by the Dolphins uh, this past year in the 2020 draft. And Justin Herbert went sixth overall. And when we talk about, so you have to throw Joe Burrow in there as well. The three quarterbacks picked in the top 10. And it's hard to argue with what these guys have done. So let me rattle off a couple of things for you. So we'll start with Joe Burrow, who's not in this game. Joe Burrow is the most completions ever in a player's first eight games in NFL history. Hmm. Justin Herbert, who's played the second most of those three, has the second most passing yards ever in a player's first seven games. The only QB with more, Patrick Mahomes. I think we've heard of him. And Tua Tungavailoa, after he wasn't asked to do a ton in his first career start against the Rams, in week nine against the Cardinals, we saw the Tua hype, right? We saw him running outside the pocket. We saw him making pinpoint accurate throws and leading the Dolphins to a really good win in Arizona. When we look back at the top 10 of drafts in terms of how the, this class has started, it's been really impressive. And one other thing about Herbert, because the NFL is about winning and losing. I think we, we hit on that every week, Adam, and it's super that, – that's what it comes down to. And the Chargers, nobody has more – excruciating losses than the LA Chargers, and they had another one in week nine against the Raiders. But let's not have that take away from how Justin Herbert is playing. So you, you look at Justin Herbert's record, his, his win-loss record as a starter, he's one in six. The guy's got 17 touchdown passes. He's got five interceptions. He's completing 67%. You know, So this guy is playing. He's top 10 in plenty of statistical categories. So while the record may be one and six, that doesn't tell the story about how well he's playing. Let me tell you something. Justin Herbert is the quarterback of both of my fantasy teams. Okay. I watch him as closely as I watch anybody. Yep. And he's a stud. He is oh, a total stud. He's got athleticism. He's got touch. He's got smarts. He's got it all. I love watching that guy play. And when we bring up Tua, let me say this also. A couple of weeks ago, the Dolphins head coach Brian Flores benches Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. A lot of people question that move. Yep. Again, I'm not telling you that coaches and general managers are always right. right. But what I will say is they see more than we do. Mm-hmm. They know more than we do. And right now, that move, as great as Fitz was, and I love Fitz, yep. looks like it was the right move. And I agree with you, Adam. And I think... We, we talk about around the draft all the time about whether so, so-and-so quarterback, well, they're going to ease them in and they might sit for a bit. The, the numbers tell us in today's NFL that just doesn't happen. If you take a quarterback in the top 10, the top half of the first round, they're going to play right away. Now, I know Tua had the, the injury concerns, which is part of the factor in Miami as to why he sat for the first few weeks. But overall, quarterbacks, this is not, you know, this is not Phillip Rivers' situation. This is not a Carson Palmer situation anymore where these guys are sitting for entire years. It's young quarterbacks are playing better than they ever have as a whole. So 
be in it. So teams want to see him right away, right? These guys aren't yeah. sitting. And it's exciting when you've got these young quarterbacks, Herbert, Burrow, Tua, who, you know, are, are impressive performances. And in Tua's case, uh, really leading them into playoff contention. Well, Brian Flores may just win the NFL Coach of the Year for making that decision if the Dolphins continue to win the way that they have. A couple of other quarterbacks picked in the top 10, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, they square off this week. And what's the tale of the tape there, Evan? Yeah, fun matchup between two guys who may, maybe on the surface they don't have a ton in common. At least you look at their their stacker, you know, Kyler Murray, 5'10", 207. Josh Allen, that, that typical kind of old-school quarterback, 6'5", you know, almost 240 pounds. But over the last two years, they're 1-2 in the NFL in rushing touchdowns among quarterbacks. Josh Allen has two more than, than Kyler Murray, who's been unreal on the ground this year. And then you, t- you t- talk about what they can do through the air as well. They're the only players this season with three touchdown passes and a rushing touchdown in multiple games. They both did it in Week 9. Uh, Allen in a great effort over the Seahawks. Murray, who I thought played amazingly, but a uh, tough loss to the Dolphins like we talked about. And then I think such a huge factor with, with both of these guys this year, and, and I always like to look at parallels when you're talking about matchups, is the receivers they both acquired on the same day, March 16th, in the offseason. The Cardinals traded for DeAndre Hopkins. Later that night, the news came out that the Bills traded for Stephon Diggs. Through Week 9, Diggs has the most receiving yards in the NFL. Hopkins is fifth in the league. When you have the talent these that, that Allen and Murray have with being able to be dual threats and really run the football, and then you add a true number one wide receiver, you know, it, 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 it's a fun matchup, a lot of parallels, and it's not, it's not surprising to see the Cardinals and uh, the, the Bills really doing well this year. And, hey, look at the teams who traded away those wide receivers. You know, those guys mean, those guys mean something. And the Texans and the Vikings have kind of taken a step backwards. Certainly a lot of factors involved, but if we just boil it down to those two wide receivers, the teams they've gone to are both in playoff contention and with the Bills they're in first place and the teams they left are going to be, it doesn't look like they're going to the playoffs. And isn't that interesting, right? I mean, Hopkins has had a huge impact and Diggs has had a huge impact. Yep. And those teams are thriving right now. And, both teams. I think Arizona's going to make the playoffs this year. I think Arizona makes the playoffs this year. So those wide receivers will help propel those teams to playoff spots. Thoughts? No, I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And, and the NFC is the, the NFC is getting interesting. I, I think a few weeks ago we kind of thought we knew. You know, the the Packers got off to the undefeated start, then they lost. Then it was the Seahawks only had one loss, and we saw what happened with the Buccaneers. So. As you filter down to the bottom of the NFC, uh, I think those last few playoff spots are going to be really competitive. Um, the Rams are right in it. I think there might be – I know I just mentioned the Vikings, and, and we have them on Monday night in Week 10 against the Bears. Keep an eye on the Vikings. The Vikings have a favorable schedule coming up. They've won two in a row, and the best player so far this year that no one's talking about because of their record has been Dalvin Cook, who's putting up historic – numbers so on you know as we sit heading into week 10 i will kind of i'll say keep an eye on the vikings to get back in contention for one of those wild card spots he has been unbelievable hasn't he he's unreal unreal he has over a thousand yards and 13 touchdowns in seven games played because he missed one game because of an injury and and it goes back to last year too we've talked about it before but that 2017 
running back class when all is said and done. Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones. I mean, you can just go down the list. The amount of talent from the running back position, even though the, the position has kind of been devalued in today's NFL, there's still a spot for all those guys who are such dual threats in the running game and in the passing game. All right, so we've got the young quarterbacks going up against each other. But what might be the best matchup of the weekend, mm-hmm. the Seattle Seahawks coming up the loss in Buffalo yep. versus the Los Angeles Rams coming up a bye, Aaron Donald after Russell Wilson. What do we make of this matchup, Evan? Fun one that we get to see twice a year with both teams in the NFC West. And, and Aaron Donald has, has really gotten after Wilson in his career. Donald has, Donald has 12 sacks of Wilson. That's his most against any quarterback. Eight of those sacks have come in their last five meetings. And it's interesting. But I would, you know, a, a large part due to Donald, Wilson has kind of struggled against the Rams compared to all other teams. Since the start of 2015, he's 3-7 and seven against L.A. compared to 37-17-1 against the rest of the NFC. And when, uh, you know, I dig into Donald this season, his nine sacks, second most through his first eight games of a season. He's on pace for 18 this year. And this, on the other side, so, so that's the, the Rams defense against the Seahawks offense. And then on the other side, it's can the Seahawks defense slow anyone down? And from a historical standpoint, we've not seen a defense have the, the poor numbers the Seahawks have had through eight games and go on to make the playoffs very often. Only one team has allowed as many points as the Seahawks through eight games and made the playoffs. That was the 2000 Rams. No team has ever allowed as many yards as Seattle has through eight games and then gone on to make the postseason. There's time to turn it around. Russell Wilson, I still think, is the favorite for the MVP. But that Seahawks defense in terms of potentially holding back that team from really making a run in the NFC is something to keep an eye on going forward. Think about that. No team has given up more yards than the Saints and then the Seahawks have through the midway point. Through eight That's incredible. Yeah, no, through eight, through eight games and then gone on to make the playoffs. It's never happened. So the, the the Seahawks have, you know, they got they got Jamal Adams back. They, Carlos Dunlap made his debut for them in week nine. They still have time to figure it out, and, and certainly the offense will kind of help maybe stabilize some of Wilson's turnovers with getting some of those running backs back. But the, the NFC West is still fascinating to me. You talked about the Cardinals before, about them making the playoffs. I agree with you there. You know, will we get three teams out of this division? I think we thought the Seahawks were running away with it. Well, if the Rams win on Sunday, the Rams would have the tiebreaker over Seattle and be in first place. So there's still a lot to be decided with. Three pretty good teams that I think they all have some flaws, but I think everybody has some flaw in the NFC. And that's why the the NFC playoffs, I think, are going to be fascinating this year. And I'll tell you what I love about that game before I let you go, Evan. We got Sean McVay with two weeks to plot against the Seahawks. You can just imagine him spending his bye week with Mm -hmm. people being unable to travel during the pandemic, thinking of plotting ways to exploit the Seahawks defense, and you've got Seattle coming off a loss, which I would expect them to rebound, which, again, gives us the elements of a great matchup. Evan, appreciate the time today. Thank you for the time and the insights. We look forward to week 10 in the NFL, and we will see you in the studio for Monday Night Football this week as well. Thanks, Adam. Sounds good. So there's a little sneak preview of week 10, but I want to – Say a couple things about week nine. Number one, did anybody watch 
The fans stormed the field in South Bend after Notre Dame beat Clemson. Great win for the school. Tremendous win for the program. But who in the hell allows all these people to storm the field in what is the ultimate super spreader? I'm sorry to be a party pooper here, but I'm watching that. And my 12-year-old daughter walks into where I'm watching TV. She said, did you see this? She's 12 years old and can see what school officials at Notre Dame cannot, that this should not be happening. That's unbelievable. She watched in amazement. I watched in amazement. And that, to me, is unacceptable and inexcusable. Who the hell is irresponsible? Who the hell is responsible for that? I mean, I couldn't believe what we're seeing, that people could be that thoughtless, that careless, and allow fans to storm the field. They're fortunate to be in attendance, okay? That's fine. State officials, local guidelines, whatever they are, allow fans to be there. We get it. To storm the field is one thing. To storm the field and the swarm that they did is another. To do it around coaches and players of another team, that is unacceptable and inexcusable. Whoever did that should be embarrassed, ashamed, humiliated. And I'm sorry to sound like this, but that is something that I really could not believe. Come on, man. Get that together. Do not let that happen. I also want to say before we sign off, last week was a brutal week. At ESPN, had about 300 layoffs, and we get the names. They filter in very slowly. There's not like a master list that goes out. So it's always very weird and awkward because you don't know who's been let go and who's been retained. And so everybody's wondering what the situation is. And then slowly but surely, certain people announce their departures on social media. Other times, other names slip out. And there are so many people who give so much to ESPN to make it the company that it is today. People who pour their blood, sweat, and tears into this company. And their names are not out front and they're not doing the shows on air, but they make the shows and the company run. So many great people on our news desk, producers. And I don't want to use any names because it's not right. And I don't want to leave anybody out. But I emailed a bunch of them. I called a bunch of them over the weekend. And it's deflating when you see such great people who you've worked with for so long let go. It's hard. And I just wanted all those people who are part of that to know everybody who sees their colleagues depart loses a piece of themselves. And it's really upsetting. It's very stressful. It's terrible. And it's even more unfortunate for the people who have been let go. So our thoughts are with them. Man, what a week. Also want to thank our guests from this week's podcast, Jim Gray. Loved talking to him. Love that. And I hope I get the chance to have dinner with him at some point in the near future. Want to thank Evan Kaplan for joining us in previewing week 10. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting together this podcast. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. We'll have more information, insight, analysis into week 10 and look ahead to week 11. And until then, be well and stay safe.